I have a question for you guys. How many of you are news junkies? Man, look at that. All the hands just thrown up in the air. Yeah. So like, oh, I don't, I don't even know where to go now because I'm like, I was hoping I'd get one like person to throw their hand up. Well, my wife, she's a news junkie. Um, if you've ever talked to Jesse, she like has all the news. And uh, she knows after being with me for 10 years now, which is crazy because I know I look like 18. Um, <laughs> but she knows which stories to share with me and which ones not to um, because she knows just how quickly I get bummed out when she shares these you know, we get out of bed and, like, haven't even had coffee yet. And she's like, oh, did you hear who died? I'm like, no, I didn't. Like, no, I did not. It's like, but. yeah, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to go spend time with Jesus now. Um, but I will say that most of the stories that she sends me are, are sweet stories, and they're about, like, those, you know, those, like, little niche NPR articles about, like, chimpanzee who raises up, like, a doodle or something as his own pet, you know? And so I'm like, okay, babe, like all those, I'll take them. Um, so even this morning, she was telling me about uh, this article that she read, and it was about how amazing the Pacific Northwest is for raising berries. And I was like, okay, could have gone my whole life probably without knowing that. I feel like the berries we had were fine, but now there's these new ones. So, so there you go. But really, I had to wrestle with this, you know, with news, and I'm like, what is it about the news that I need to avoid it so much? And I think for me, the reason is it forces me to kind of face this reality that things are not as they should be. And it leads me down this road of questioning and challenging God. You know, I start asking those questions, you know, God, if you're so good and merciful, why are these injustices happening, you know, on the other side of the world? Why are these things happening in in our backyards? And I just, you know, I start looking at the world, and then I look at Scripture, and I'm like, these things just don't add up. And so we've been going through a series called Why Not and looking at the different reasons people walk away or give up on Christianity. Christianity. And today, I want to help us answer the question, what do you do when you don't agree with Scripture? Which is a loaded question, because more times than not, God's Word is not going to align with what we see in culture and in the world. And so I want us to look at this um, and how we should respond to passages of scripture that are difficult and, you know, the ones that we have to wrestle with. So, because I think what ends up happening for a lot of us is we'll do what I do sometimes with the news and I'll just avoid it at all costs because I can't make sense of, you know, I can't make sense of it, you know, heads or tails. And I'm like, all right, God. And I just start wrestling with it. And I start placing my own beliefs and my own interpretations onto the Bible, which I know isn't right. And it's only natural, I feel like, that we do this because we desperately want to make sense of the world that we live in. But the problem with this is that when we start replacing God's truth with our own ideas, it's no longer God's truth that we are preaching, and it becomes our own version of Scripture, which, le- which usually is some sort of watered-down Scripture. And so listen to what Deuteronomy 4.2 tells us. It says, You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God, which I command you. And then Paul gives a similar command to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 about preaching the word of God to others. And he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. So notice, Paul isn't giving Timothy permission to preach his minced version of scripture or for him to preach his own ideas of what he thinks the people need to hear. 
No, he's telling him to preach every word just as it is written. And at the end of the day, it all boils down to whether we truly believe in the sufficiency of Scripture and not our own versions of Scripture where we just preach the parts, you know, and leave out parts that we don't agree with or we maybe have to wrestle with. So if we claim to be Christians, we're saying that we believe that the Bible is infallible, that the Word of God has the ability and the authority to transform lives, and any tampering that we do to the Scriptures or the Gospel has a potential to not only distort the truth, but also destroy it. So we have to be willing to submit to the truth that is presented to us in the Scriptures, but sometimes that can be extremely difficult against the backdrop of culture because our culture is so loud, you guys. And culture hates the word submission. I even hate saying it. But, you know, we live in the age of individualism, you know, and we see it so much in a city like this, like Eugene, or see like Portland, or where I'm from in, in Austin, Texas. You know, everyone just do, wants to be themselves and be able to express themselves. And a lot of us, you know, we, we try to escape that. Um, and so anything that gets in the way of individualism uh, to culture is a threat. And so then we're faced with the question, you know, what do we do then? And the first thing we have to do is ask ourselves, why don't I agree with the text? Why don't I agree with this piece of scripture? And I believe that nine times out of ten, it's because of one of three reasons. And so the first reason I want us to look at and unpack is this. And if you're taking notes, this would be the first one. Reason one, what scripture is saying doesn't line up with our own emotions and feelings. It only seems natural that when there's a conflict between what the Bible says and how I feel, my most instinctive reaction is to say that the Bible cannot be correct because my feelings and my own emotions trump everything else. You know, we write it off, we start saying things like, well, the scripture is just giving suggestions, you know, or this doesn't really apply to me. Think back to, you know, when you're a kid or a teenager, and I don't know about you guys, but I was, you know, pretty stinking rebellious, and... Uh, if I was upset or angry, you know, about something, it's because I had the right to be, or at least that's how I felt, you know? And my emotions, I let them drive, you know, every decision in my life, you know, and I still do that all the time. Um, but I want to share with you guys a story. Um, so back in Austin, where, you know, my wife and I just moved here eight months ago, but I, of course, it's the city of live music, and I was one of, I was in a band, like a billion other bands, and in college, me and my, it was me and my two best friends, and we had lined up all these gigs during, have you guys heard of South by Southwest? And so, like, it's a big festival. Caden, stop laughing at me, man. <laughs> it's like this big festival that goes on, and it's a big place where, you know, like, A&R guys and all these scouts would go, and record labels, and they'd plant themselves, and they'd look for, you know, potential bands and things to add to the record label. And so... I got this call from this woman that was managing us at the time. She's like, hey, I set up this gig with this guy, and he was part of this record deal, or this record label, and he, you know, he wants to check you guys out. I'm like, okay, the pressure's on. And so we did these gigs, and I was just so convinced, you know, in my mind, I was like, you know, this is going to happen. Like, God's lined up this to happen. This is where my life is going to go. And all my thoughts and feelings were so focused on this one thing, happening, and there was no way this wasn't going to unfold. Um, and I had spent so many years, you know, of focused attention and emotions and feelings on this one thing coming to fruition, and obviously it didn't happen, <laughs> you know? I was letting my emotions and my feelings drive those feelings. 
And none of what I was doing or believing was actually built on any sort of truth or foundation. This was just something that I desperately thought I wanted. And what's worse, not only did I decide that this was my truth, you know, for my life, but people I loved were saying, yeah, this is your destiny, you know, and they put that pressure on me. I'm like, okay, you know, like now what? Like if I fail, I failed for all these people. And so I don't know if any of you guys have experienced that kind of pressure in your lives on, on anything, whether from someone else or whatever it was, but we let our feelings and emotions dictate, you know, where we're going. But listen to what Proverbs 19.21 says. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And this verse has humbled me so many times. So often we let our emotions and our feelings lead us through life, but the reality is very rarely can we trust our emotions to lead us where we should go. You know, even, this sounds kind of silly, but when my wife and I go shopping, and this is not how it used to be when it was just me, but when we go shopping, she's like, all right, you find something you love that's expensive, she's like, you gotta wait 24 hours because you might not still want it. And I'm like, okay. And I know that it's prevented me from buying all kinds of stupid things that I thought were essential for my life. Like, one day, I came home from lunch, or for lunch, and I just felt that I needed a banjo. And I picked up a banjo on my way home, and she's like, what? Are you planning on buying, you know, learning the banjo? And I was like, no, but I just, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And I'm one of those people, like, I'm all in. It's uh, just gathering dust in the closet somewhere. <laughs> um, but so the second reason why I believe that we find it so difficult to believe Scripture at times is because it's contradicting to what we see in the world around us. And this is a huge one because we think about how quickly and how often our culture changes you know, look at fashion. Guys, I feel so old whenever I'm on campus with jazz on Tuesdays because I'm, like, looking around at how cool people look. I'm like, what? I was like, how'd they make that work? I'm like, okay. And I'm like, just that daunting reality that I'm getting older. But, you know, it's changing. Or, like, look at sports. Like, guys, pickleball? Do any of you play pickleball? Was that a thing five years ago? No. Man, I'm, like, everyone and their dog is playing pickleball. I'm like, okay, but it's just another example of all these things that come into trend or, or into vogue, and it's like, this is the popular thing to do. All these things, you know, are changing. You know, we look at trends even in social media, and I am, this is just one of those things I'm so out of the loop on. You know, people are like, have you seen that TikTok video? I'm like, I don't know. I don't have, I've never even downloaded the TikTok app, so I don't even know how it works, you know, so if you're going to show me, show me, and then I'm, you know, it's just like, I can't keep up. But, so I've been off social media now for like five months, and guys, I feel so good that, and I haven't looked back. I've convinced my wife to do the same thing. But the point is, we're so quick to accept trends as truths. Like, you look at even our celebrity culture and the things that celebrities are willing to do, you know, to augment the way they look, because it's the trendy thing to do, and it's impossible to keep up with. It's a race. But the reality, guys, is this isn't anything new. Trends and culture were a reality 2,000 years ago. And when Jesus came on the scene, what he was saying and preaching was as countercultural then as it is today. And here's what we need to realize about this, that the word of God is not like the world. It's unchanging. The gospel message is as alive today and true as it ever was. 
So I want us to look at one of Jesus' most important teachings in Matthew 5, which if you have your Bibles, you can open those up, or if you have the YouVersion app. So Matthew 5, which is the famous Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most, probably his most famous teaching. And I want us to see how countercultural his teachings were then as they are now. Now, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to see him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying that only those, is he, or is he saying that only those who are financially poor can inherit the kingdom of God? No, of course not. What Jesus is talking about is our material wealth. He's addressing our, our spiritual poverty. He's saying that in order for us to be citizens in the kingdom of God and for us to be Jesus followers, we have to recognize that there is absolutely nothing that we can do on our own accord to enter into the kingdom of God. So you just think about how countercultural that was then as it is today. The Pharisees, who were the religious elite at the time, they were considered the closest to God because of how good they appeared outwardly and how they followed the rules, the Mosaic Law. I'm sure you guys have heard of that. But what Jesus is saying is that this isn't about following any rules. We cannot rely on our own goodness to change our standing with God. Jesus is saying, unless we recognize how spiritually bankrupt that we are, we will not acknowledge our need for a Savior. And it's at this place of being poor in spirit that our relationship with God can begin. And the last reason I think that we find it so difficult to agree with Scripture at times is because we are simply not willing to wrestle with the actual text or even with God. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is saying is, the Greek is happy are those who are poor in spirit. But how can I be happy and also be poor in spirit. Well, if we're willing to wrestle with the text a bit, we see that what Jesus is really saying is not that our happiness is the ultimate goal. What he's saying is that happiness is a byproduct of this new kingdom lifestyle that he's proposing. So actually, when we empty ourselves of the desires of this world and our own selfish desires and instead choose to embrace spiritual poverty, then and only then can Jesus fill us. If we desire to know God more and live a life honoring to him and his word, we have to be willing to wrestle with God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Guys, the word of God has the power to separate what we know as good and evil, and to cut through the noise and the nonsense in our lives to unveil the truth. But we have to be willing to wrestle with it. And I use the word wrestle because that's exactly what we have to do. It's that intense. Our flesh and our spirit are at odds with one another, and each day is going to be a battle to defeat the desires of our flesh. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Even the apostle Paul knew this, and he said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So 
uh, a few years ago, my wife and I got to go to, I, I say this so, so formally, my wife and I, Jesse, you guys know Jesse who leads worship? Um, we got to go to uh, Rodenburg, which is an old city in Germany, and it's a really old town. And what's so unique about it is that it's actually a walled city, and it has ramparts or like a walkway all along the city walls surrounding it. So that watchmen could be on the lookout for invaders. But what was so interesting to learn was that, yes, they're watching out for invaders coming into the city, but more so what they're actually watching out for were small fires that were happening within the city walls. So that was their main focus. Was there a little, if there was a little fire, it had the potential to consume this whole city. And so that's what they're watching out for. We're told time and time again in the New Testament about how our enemy is cunning and willing to do whatever he can to distract us and take our focus off of Jesus. And just like the enemies for these watchmen, very rarely was the enemy some big, obvious army, you know, but rather a small fire or lie that gets planted in our hearts that we then allow culture to cultivate. And so, guys... Our culture and our society wants to change, develop, and progress. And on the surface, these are all amazing things. But the reality is that what culture defines as progress is not how the Bible defines it. John 1, 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what John is saying is that Jesus, who is the Word of God, has been here since the beginning of time. He's seen it all. Hebrews 13 eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The word is unchanging and unlike the world. When we look at the life of Jesus and the lifestyle that he's calling us to live in Matthew 5, it is one of surrender and self-sacrifice. Surrender to a way of life that takes focus off of myself and puts it onto others. And we can call this the upside-down kingdom mindset one that goes against the grain of culture and confronts our own selfishness and our independence. By acknowledging the countercultural upside-down kingdom of God, it allows us to see Scripture in a whole new way. Paul tells us in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. Scripture has the ability to transform the way we think and see the world. And my prayer for you today is simple. It's that you would be willing to bring your questions, your doubts, your emotions, your feelings to God and allow him the freedom and the space to speak to you because he can handle all these things. He can handle them. He's bigger than all of them. So bring them to him.